for the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm Kate Scott. This is the update on today's show. Well, with the NFL draft coming up before we know it, we thought it'd be fun to look back on some guys who, well, weren't expected to be superstars when they were drafted, only to be named to the NFL's all-decade team last week. We discuss their rises from draft day question marks to top of the class with 49ers beat writer Matt Barrows. It's Monday, April 13th. Well, Matt, it is so great to have you back as we approach one of the few things in the sporting world that thankfully hasn't been canceled yet, the NFL Draft. And I loved a piece that you wrote recently about how four great 49ers went from draft day question marks uh, to the NFL's all-decade team. How did this angle about guys, you know, overcoming the odds come to you? Well, I mean, it was just a kind of a confluence of things. The NFL released this uh, all-decade team, which are the greatest NFL players who played from 2010 through 2019. And also, the draft is coming up. So it struck me that the, the four 49ers who were on that list, and they were Patrick Willis, Joe Staley, Frank Gore, and Richard Sherman, who, of course, was drafted by the Seahawks but joined the 49ers later, were all guys who had, you know, varying degrees of question marks about them heading into their respective drafts. These guys were not considered slam dunks. Probably Patrick Willis was the most, but even he had question marks about him, and and some were coming from the very team that that drafted him. The point being that you never know the guy the guy that you think is just the shoe in to be the the all decade guy might turn out to be a bust, and then the guy you take in the fifth round which was where Richard Sherman was taken. I think there were 22 or 23 cornerbacks taken ahead of him will go to the Hall of Fame. So it just kind of underscores the total crapshoot that the NFL draft <laughs> is. And, and I think that sometimes when a guy is drafted late in the draft, certainly in Richard Sherman's case, that ends up being motivation in itself to kind of prove to himself and prove that all those guys taken ahead of me they took that guy ahead of me. <laughs> right. That's that's motivation. That's that's a chip that stays on that shoulder the duration of a guy's career. Yeah, no doubt. And we'll get into Sherm's draft day story momentarily. But before we dive into the individual stories, as a group, Matt, what stands out to you about this quartet? They all had really good longevity, or at least most of them did. Uh, again, Willis sort of stands out because he only played eight seasons, but even eight seasons is is a long career. But Frank Gore was drafted in the middle of the previous decade. He was drafted in 2005, and he's still playing to this day. And so is Joe Staley. Richard Sherman was drafted after those guys. But um, that's the key. Injuries wipe out so many guys' career. And part of it is luck, and and part of it is genetics, and part of it is is dedication and, and training and taking care of your body. But if you can string together 10 seasons, that is... It's rare and in itself is just a a grand achievement to be on uh, the decade wall, the 10-year wall of any organization. Yeah, it feels like out of all the leagues, 10 years in the NFL feels like 15 to 20 in any of the other pro leagues we've got going. All right, so let's get into these guys' draft stories. Why wasn't Frank Gore, you know, one of the first running backs selected back in the day? Gore had a lot going against him. The primary one was he had two ACL tears. I remember Scott McLuhan, who was the 49ers, he wasn't the GM at the time, but he was their their head draft guy. He went to 
the University of Miami. Uh, this is when McLuhan was working for the Seahawks. So he goes to the University of Miami to scout Clinton Portis, who was a great running back in his own right. And the guy that really caught his eye was the freshman. His name was Frank Gore. And, and Frank Gore looked better than the upperclassmen on, on Miami's squad. Miami had, at that time, was fantastic. It was one of the best programs in, in the country. That stuck with McLuhan. And, of course, Gore would go on to tear both the ACLs in his left and his right knee. And so that was hanging over Gore in uh, going into the draft. And McLuhan knew that he couldn't take him before the third round. He made a vow to Gore. He said, if you're still there when we pick in the third round, remember that was the year the 49ers had the number one overall pick in the draft. So they were the first team to pick in every round. So the promise was, if you're still there, I will make you the number one pick in the third round. And, uh, of course, Gore was still there. McLuhan followed through on his promise, and it led to really a, a lifelong loyalty from Gore to McLuhan. These guys still talk once a week. Gore always bounces off his ideas about where he should sign, this, that, and the other. With McLuhan, and that's the type of guy that, that Gore is. He's a very, very loyal guy. And if you were on Team Gore at a point when nobody was on Team Gore, which is you know going into that 2005 draft, that earned you a lifetime of loyalty. And Patrick Willis was a pretty high pick. But as you alluded to earlier, even the 49ers who selected him weren't sure what they were getting. Willis came about at a time when inside linebacker position was changing. I mean, today you are looking for Patrick Willis. Teams are looking for a six-foot, 235-pound linebacker who can run like the wind and who can cover tight ends and running backs. But back then in 2007, it was sort of a a transition period. It was a, a time between when inside linebackers were bigger, bulkier guys. The idea was that they would take on guards and they would be very physical at the line of scrimmage, and, and they were mainly run stuffers. I mean, that was their, their their main calling card. They had to be physical around the line of scrimmage and, and basically take down running backs. Patrick Willis certainly could do that, but he could do so much more. The issue with the 49ers is that they had very traditional guys, especially who were overseeing the linebacker position. Mike Nolan was the head coach. He was a former defensive coordinator. He was the son of Dick Nolan, the former 49ers head coach in in the 70s. And then the linebackers coach was Mike Singletary, who was sort of the epitome of the 1980s inside linebacker. Iron Mike, Samurai Mike, I mean, a guy (laughs) who was as tough as they come. And both of those guys were skeptical about this more sort of finesse-oriented inside linebacker, Patrick Willis, who was a little undersized, who had had some injury issues at Ole Miss, and they were thinking, oh, gee, we've got the number 11 pick overall. Do we really want this guy to be the epicenter, the foundation of our defense? That caused a little bit of tension. Obviously, Scott McLuhan won out in that argument, and everybody was on board fairly quickly. But, you know, the point being that even somebody like Patrick Willis, who, you know, one of the greatest uh, defensive players for the 49ers in the last quarter century, even he had some question marks about him heading into his draft. Hmm. What about Joe Staley? What were the knocks on the guy who's now potentially approaching his 14th year with the San Francisco 49ers? Yeah, he's sort of the offensive version of Willis, a guy who is known for his speed more than anything else. 
Uh, and when you're an offensive tackle, I mean, like, who cares about speed? Uh, <laughs> you want at that point, the great tackles in the league were 330, 320 pounds, just huge mammoth guys. And you stand next to Joe Staley, and he's huge, but he's not quite the monster that some of these offensive tackles were, certainly coming out of the 1990s and early 2000s. Uh, Walter Jones, Jonathan Ogden, that was sort of the archetype at that point. And he was a former tight end, which explains how well he moves. But he was also transitioning body-wise from tight end to to tackle at that point. And he was well under uh, 300 pounds uh, going into his senior season. And, uh, you know, that was sort of the the litmus test. Could this guy add weight and uh, how easily could he do so? And, and, uh, again, McLuhan was convinced that he could. And um, they eventually took him at at pick number 28, which not quite as risky as pick 11 would be. And obviously, it it all worked out well. I mean, it's it's kind of funny because I I feel like Joe Staley's longevity is due to the fact that he actually lost weight after he got to the NFL. He got up easily past 320. It might have been, been like 325 a couple of years into the NFL because that's that's what you did as an offensive tackle and he just never really felt comfortable with it so he made a decision early on in his career to drop all that weight and has played the majority of it at uh, at 295 which 15 years ago would have been unheard of for an offensive lineman but you know that probably has meant less wear and tear on his knees on his hips Definitely, on his joints yeah. And that's why we're talking about him possibly playing a uh, a 14th or maybe even a 15th season. Wow. And another guy who's had a very long career that's still going, Richard Sherman. Why did he have to wait so long? As you mentioned earlier, 22, 23 corners taken before him in the draft. How is that possible? That's probably the most unbelievable one, considering that this guy's going to make the Hall of Fame, uh, no questions asked. But, um, you know, again, it's uh, he's sort of coming into the draft uh, during a, a transition phase. I mean, nowadays, everybody's looking for their version of Richard Sherman. You know, at that point, Richard Sherman didn't exist in the NFL, and they were looking for very fast, very kind of loose-hipped, very maneuverable types of cornerbacks, and, and that's not Richard Sherman's forte. He's not fast. He is physical. He is very smart, but it was just a case of you had to see Richard Sherman in the NFL to kind of realize the value of him. And the other part is that Richard Sherman is not shy about making enemies. And uh, (laughs) he wasn't going to get picked by the San Francisco 49ers, that was for sure, because he had feuded with the head coach, his head coach at Stanford, uh, Jim Harbaugh, who took over the 49ers the very year that uh, Richard Sherman was coming out in the draft. And it turns out it was another Pac-12 coach. Pete Carroll, who ends up taking him because uh, Carroll had recruited him in high school and, and obviously had had followed him in the Pac-12 and knew how good he was. So, But even, even that was a, a surprise to, to Richard Sherman. The Seattle Seahawks paid very, very little attention to him. Most teams didn't pay attention to him. So when he saw that 425 number pop up on his phone on draft day, he was surprised, but he knew exactly what team was calling. Hmm. Crazy how things work out. And now we get to see uh, who the next guy, who maybe isn't the most heralded draft pick this season. Maybe we'll make that next All-Decade team for the 49ers. Matt, this was great. Stay healthy. Stay safe. Thanks for the time today. Thank you, Kate. For more of Matt's great draft flashbacks and coverage leading up to this year's draft, just click the link in the description notes of today's podcast. 
coming up later this week here on The Update. We'll get into the thriving world of esports with my friend Bonnie Bernstein. Bonnie produced a documentary for ESPN on the college esport teams that have been growing like crazy the past few years. And I'm hoping that she can help us understand why we're actually calling them sports. And on our next show, we'll learn the story of the high school phenom that the Warriors took way back in the 1969 NBA draft, knowing the pick would be nullified. You couldn't select high schoolers back then. And, uh, well, you couldn't select women either. It is a wild story that we'll discuss with the Chronicle's Scott Osler. Don't forget, you can now listen to us on any of your Google devices. Just tell your assistant, play the update with Kate Scott Podcast. As always, if you're enjoying the pod, we'd love for you to rate, review, and subscribe. Those little things go a long way for us here at the Athletic Podcast Network. For all of us here at The Update, thanks to Matt for stopping by. Thanks to you for tuning in. I'm Kate Scott. Have a good few days, everybody. We'll talk to you again on Wednesday.